You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 430, some peculiar choices for the Christmas album market, the joys of coming second, and stage entrances through the years. That's all coming up after Ian Gom and Hold On. I've been drifting on the sea of heartbreak Trying to get myself ashore for so long so long Listening to the strangest stories Wondering where it all went wrong For so long For so long But hold on, hold on, hold on To what you got A few weeks back I picked an opening track and thought, oh, that's a one-hit wonder. And then by coincidence, the next week I picked a track and thought, oh, I've picked another one-hit wonder. And <laughs> that set, sort of set me off. Turns out, yeah. Yeah, it set me off on a run of wonderful one-hit wonders to open the podcast in recent weeks. Here's the latest. It's a gorgeous track from 1979. He's from Chiswick, but um, this didn't chart in the UK. It reached number 18 in the United States. It's Ian Gom and Hold On. That was enjoyably yachty, that. Very the yacht genre rock. of yacht rock, which I'm very, very keen on, despite not being able to fully get my uh, get my mouth around the pronunciation. <laughs> I'd never heard that before, but I it seemed to fit nicely in with that sort of yacht rock vibe, I thought. I, 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 love, I love the old yacht rock. It's, um, it's very much home territory for me. Um, well, oh, yes, welcome to the podcast from the Paris Council. It's episode 430. I'm Terence Stackham, and here's the... Here's the Kelly to my Nelly. It's Juliet Harris. What can I say? It's certainly a dilemma, Sir Terence. Oh, oh technically, you should be Telly, shouldn't you? I get if good. we're going to go with the um, jelly. You could be jelly. Yeah, yeah, Jelly and Telly. Who, who <laughs> wouldn't? But, but sounds like my nice idea of a nice night in, personally. Yeah, anyway, hello, good. everybody. Time for our flourishing, some would say triumphant um, <laughs> some opening. Some might say trying. I mean, the, yes. any tread you want to here. It's part 10 of Spot the Singer. I play you a 30-second clip, and without shazamming or sound-hounding, you, the listener, has to guess who it is. Uh, Juliet Harris will be your spokeswoman and will guess on your behalf. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. If you could if you could text me within the next five <laughs> seconds, which, by the way, are in the past because we're yes. doing it before you hear this, yeah. There, there is that element to it. Um, yes, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving you a clue, uh, Jules, as... 
I suspect you may know this, but you either will or you won't. I don't think mm. it's something you could guess at. So if you aren't sure, I'll give you clues after. But mm. um, who is this from 2015 singing about a famous London landmark? London Bridge is falling down. Zombie tourists blocking to town. Buying plastic policemen. Japanese banker takes digital pics. And drunk lads laugh looking for a fix. The singing rule Britannia People rushing everywhere They pass them by and they don't care Piccadilly Circus Piccadilly Circus Don't complain Piccadilly Circus is cold again It has a sort of jaunty 60s feel, Jules But who might that be? Well, I'm not sure I know it, know it So I will ask for a clue, please okay. First clue is It's a politician a British politician. Right. Now, that's not going in the direction I thought it was. A former no. Liberal MP. The band is called the Reform Club. Oh, I, is it Norman Lamb? Norman Baker with his oh, band, the Reform that's, Club. I'm getting my I'm getting mm. my my Lib Dem Normans muddled up there because Norman Lamb was until recently a, an MP in one of the Suffolk seats with Lib Dems. But yes, Norman Baker, I should have known that entirely because he is um was the MP in Lewis, which is one of my neighbouring seats. But Egg. it was it was very it was it was I thought it was more Brit poppy than sixties, mm. and it sounded derivative rather than original. If you see what I mean, it was a bit like the Kinks put through a bit of a mangle. That, that's a, yeah, actually you're very that's a good spot it had a sort of uh ray davis uh feel to it didn't it very sort of but, but uh, not underground if you see what i mean it sounds a little bit like if you told me that had come on come on one of the uh like uh thurman or one of the or truman or one of the uh one of the the slightly second rate brit pop albums i um my life story if you told me that had come from a my life story album i i probably wouldn't have said you were wrong so it's, it's, it is indeed former Minister of State at the Home Office, yes. Norman Baker MP, and his band, the Reform Club. His apparent interest in music isn't particularly clear from that slightly Labour track. But <laughs> since but since losing his seat, Jules, at the 2015 election, Norman Baker has been appearing as a DJ on Seahaven FM, a community radio <laughs> station just along the coast from you there surprise me at all actually i think he might have either been in or had some involvement with there was a sort of an in-house band from the house of commons i think called mp4 i don't know if he was involved in that but um but there there were there were four um i think they were sort of cross party i'm just trying to look this up now because i want to try and finish mm. that uh, mp4 is a rock band made up of four british members of parliament uh, no he wasn't one of them uh. greg knight ian corsey pete wishart and kevin brennan uh, they were founded as mp3 in 2004 by pete wishart with ian corsey and sir greg knight they were later on joined by um by uh, kevin brennan and interestingly pete wishart the uh, scottish national party member was previously keyboardist with run rig and big country oh, no you can't you can't uh, decry that can you him, i mean him him, yeah. him and david morris who is the conservative mp for morcombe and, and loondale are the only two current mps to have appeared on top of the pops <laughs> now i'm i'm genuinely surprised that people still buy cds i understand the nostalgic <laughs> appeal for vinyl i do get that but i don't know why people would buy cds particularly when the music is available on streaming services or youtube and people still buying uh, cds because they like one track they've heard on the radio and end up with 11 that they don't like but um <laughs> i suppose the big time for buying cds remains the christmas market there seems to be an ongoing demand for what may be seen there's a an inexpensive gift at around 10 quid and um, Jules you've been uncovering some terrifying possibilities for those seeking to buy CDs this Christmas yes I regret to inform you that the the same old rubbish is is a back in the Christmas market this year interesting but to come back at that CD thing mm. I've got a friend that's very very keen on buying CDs mm. he vinyl leaves him cold but he does buy CDs because he likes to have something hard copy he likes mm. to have the artwork hard copy and also CDs are considerably cheaper than vinyl and because they're unfashionable again now compared to vinyl mm -hmm. you can get a lot for your money and he has a, a huge collection of signed CDs you can uh, now buy CDs that are signed from bands at relatively little expense it would seem so so that is something in their favour but yes um 
you wouldn't necessarily want any of the CDs coming up, signed or unsigned, I suspect. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is about the Christmas market. I think it. I think like all gifts and presents people give to other people, Christmas is a time for buying presents for people who are distant relations who you have to buy something for, but you don't see or are connected to them enough to really know what it is that they want. So you grasp at fairly vague things. So you think, oh, my granny quite likes music. What can we get for granny that is music that is not too threatening, that is not even particularly has much personality, that might be something that she's heard before possibly ideally um and then you can send her something and she won't know how to download anything so so True. let something hard copy so in that sense it it it, it works quite well there is one cd um i mean i i so the, the performer of this cd i used to be very anti and have been rehabilitated towards in recent years not least because he has had tremendous success and you can't knock that really but um you can buy a cd what could be more perfect than a present for a loved one, um, a distant relative, than an album that is actually called The Christmas Present? And it's a nice pun as well. Regrettably, that album has been produced by Robbie Williams. Oh, God. On the front cover is... Well, it's it's a sort of a Christmas it's a Christmas card style scene, a bucolic scene of him dressed in Dickensian style garb, a long top top hat, a long oh, coat in front of an old fashioned snowy window scene. Um, you can buy it on deluxe vinyl. I'm 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 delighted to in that <laughs> it inform you. Deluxe hardcover book packaging includes oh four bonus tracks and a forty four page booklet um the double album features themed discs christmas past and christmas future i'm not sure which is more more worrying both including a brilliant mix of original songs and special festive covers with some star guest appearances so the star guest that i've got for you Mm. Jamie Cullum, who, bless him, is always willing mm. to pop up when yes. perhaps not entirely welcome, although his own records are, are enjoyable. Rod Stewart, um, mm. again, a bit reduced to cameo roles now. Mm. I think of him as the Krusty the Clown of sort of pop <laughs> and kind of continues, continues on long past his kind of header. Having said that, he did show extreme kindness to the people that had their model railway trashed by oh, back. He, did, he, yes. he gave them several thousand pounds to help restore things. And now, talks about his own model railway so fair play to rod i don't think he's a bad chap uh brian adams who um, i don't have a huge amount None of, of these names are really sort of cutting edge they're all no. 30 years and, and the most old. random name of all fame wise mm. so the fourth person uh, you can guess who it is give you a clue it's not a musician Right. It's, which is already worrying enough. It's not Norman Baker MP, is it? It's not. It's a sports person, which perhaps ups the anti worrying wise. Um, no, it's they come from the field of boxing. Oh, the, guest, the guest the um, guest person duetting with him is none other than Tyson Fury. <laughs> so there is not a lot about this album that's really um, that really that one of the songs is called Yeah, It's Christmas, which, you know, <laughs> he does what it says on the tin. I mean, yeah, it is Christmas. But um, there's, um, you know, there's a there's him doing Rudolph the Red Nose Rainy. Now, now, to be fair, Robbie Williams, I've, I've been recently we might talk about this in greater length on a future podcast, but I've been recently going through a bit of an odd Odyssey, involving my love of quizzing and a certain major quiz site which has a load of quizzes on it based around the now that's what I call music albums which oh. I'm on vinyl in which you have to either they're with sound clips and they play a song and you have to name the song and then it comes if you get it right it comes up with the artist or you can do it with a track list with no clips and then you have to name the artist Robbie Williams has had 34 top 40 hits in Britain Wow. I mean that is that is an enormous that's a, that's a lot and to the yeah. point where he's on and I uh, you know I know this because he is on virtually every nail compilation mm. I they went from doing one a year to two a year to four a year but he is notable by the fact that he or mm. him and him and Louise both constantly pop up to say <laughs> hello on on these things so I can't begrudge Robbie Williams success his um big band jazz albums that he did I would obviously rather have the originals, but he seemed to have the sort of voice that suited it. He did it reverentially. I can kind of understand that. But this really does seem to be um, 
This really does seem to be rather patience trying. And by the way, <laughs> the, um, the, the, uh, the, the song featuring Tyson Fury is an original number called Bad Sharon. I cannot imagine this oh being good, Sharon. I really, I really can't. Every element of this sounds just appalling. Doesn't it? I mean, there is, you know, when you look at the, uh, the, the, the song that he's done with Brian Adams, is, is that, that brilliant sort of Phil Spector's Christmas Gift to You song, Christmas Baby Please Come Home, beautifully sung originally. Um, I just this sounds so bad. Obviously, the mark that it is difficult. There are difficult trying conditions in in the music market. We've, we seem to speak about this most weeks about the impact of downloading, and it would seem that the music the music industry is still analog technology trying to deal with a digital world in every sense of the word people haven't adapted yet presumably because the people at the top are still from the previous era they haven't adapted yet as to what to do so are still trying to flog this kind of rubbish to the only sort of people that still buy cds or would still listen to cds which it would seem increasingly in this and with some exceptions including my friend that i discussed earlier but it would seem that the kind of people that still listen to CDs are the sort of people that only have about 25 in their house, if you see mm-hmm. what I mean. So it's people that aren't that interested in music, but would probably listen to something it was if it was bought for them, if you see what I mean. And equally, that then means that the person that's buying for them you know they don't really know what music they like and there's a lovely scene in the book high fidelity where where he goes around someone's house a central character to look at what cds they have and he's got 25 there are 25 and he's already concerned when the first thing that he sees is enya and it kind of goes from there really so so it was there's a whole industry that put that, that's grown up around this it was in that anybody who has no musical link really i mean to be fair to robbie williams he is you can debate whether or not his music is good but he is at least a musician um or a singer you know whatever he is at least involved in music that is his thing if you're not if you're if you want to buy something for somebody which isn't even by a musician mm-hmm. you can also uh, purchase here's to christmas by that well-known musician chris kamara aka oh, that's oh. unbelievable jeff a football pundit and former manager oh, I, I, you know again it's um when you look at the tracks that are on it uh, there's no surprises here. Let it snow. Here's to Christmas. Winter mm. Wonderland. Not bad, Sharon. I regret to inform you. <laughs> I don't know if that will become a future standard. But was Nick Knowles had huge success doing this? We'd speaking we've spoken previously about Bradley Walsh. I mm. think his his albums. It seems like there is still this is the, the one of the one of the last sort of dying breaths of of the of that this aspect of the hard copy music industry seems to be that they're desperately clinging to sort of what they know there are lots of people who will buy want to buy an album of the year a christmas i used to work with someone who had been very interested in music had grown up and had kids and was less interested and kept saying to me juliet what's the big album this year that i need to buy and desperately ended up buying susan boyle which was not recommended by me can i point out because he felt he needed to buy something i mean it's it seems very strange to me and very depressing. And it also, I think, points to me the demise of X Factor. X Factor acts and the X Factor are obviously not seen as being the big money spinner. Mm. And people have given up on trying to, to launch sort of fifth fifth placed um, people from the previous year. And they're thinking now the only way to sell music to people who aren't interested in it is to use people that aren't even musicians. Everyone will be delighted to hear that to coincide with the 25th anniversary of the first release of All I Want for Christmas Is You, Mariah Carey is reissuing her Christmas, her Merry Christmas album. And she's also touring her All I Want for Christmas Is You show in Las Vegas and across the East Coast in America. Also, this was a surprise to me. We have Rob Halford from Judas Priest is actually releasing his second Christmas album because of the success of the first, which somehow passed me by altogether. Um, Peppa Pig is releasing <laughs> Bing Bong Christmas, which um, I listen. I listen. It sounds less bad on paper than Bad Sharon. I, uh, I don't believe it because I listened to Bing Bong Christmas during the week, <laughs> and I I can't recommend it. It's like having it's like having corn syrup poured oh, into your ears. I, but I, perhaps, I, 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 yeah, I, I can't. I'm disappointed that it's well, well. Let's maybe we should try and listen to Bad Sharon and do a, <laughs> a comparison yeah. for our long-suffering listeners. Perhaps the most peculiar CD I found uh, that's being released at Christmas mm. is the offering from Spandau Ballet's Martin Kemp and mm. his wife Shirley right. out of Wham's Pepsi and Shirley. Yep. It's an album of swing covers. There's uh, 
because it's Christmas. Everyone yeah. wants, to sit, wants to hear Swing at Christmas, apparently. It's extraordinary, isn't it? There's Fly Me to the Moon and You Make Me Feel So Young. Well, again, it's pitched at that audience, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone knows those songs because they're from that era, aren't they? I suppose, but, I mean, bless them and all that, but... <laughs> really, who would want that in their Christmas stockings? But nine ninety nine, if you want Martin and Shirley's in the swing of it, but it just it, seems a bit it, desperate. I mean, well, and again, it's it. You might not want it, but an elderly relative of yeah, yours, yeah, maybe. Like, I don't know. Although, interestingly, there is a flip side to this. I don't think it was released at Christmas, but um, I did manage to once buy it, buy an unknown CD for a for an elderly relative. Um, I I managed to get um. My dad is was a very big fan of the Everly Brothers, where because that was the sort of era that he was growing up in. And I man, he was also a fan of Nora Jones when she first came oh, out. Yeah. I rather like that. And I managed to find this is a recommendation for people if you've got people like this in your life and you're not quite sure to get them. I bought him an album called Foreverly, which on paper sounds almost as bizarre as all of these Christmas Christmas albums we've just heard, which is Nora Jones and Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day singing uh singing an album of Everly Brothers cover. And it is absolutely excellent. It's really, really good. And my dad loved it and plays it all the time. So so not all peculiar albums of duets are bad necessarily, but um it's a li- it's it's a little bit different to like you say, Pepsi uh, Pepsi and Shirley Shirley and Spandau Ballet's Martin Kemp doing doing this. It's it's a bit cynical really, isn't it? I'm not mm. blaming them particularly, but although, you know, they're hopefully gonna make money out of this, that's their plan, I guess. But um it's it it just you know the, it just seems like endlessly re repeddling the same rubbish doesn't it really and and in a way that kind of I don't want to seem like I'm I'm a Grinch about Christmas because I usually yeah. love it but the last few years particularly this last year and this year I think with, with the sort of cr- uh, climate crisis that that we hear so much about now and how we need to try and just all have less stuff and just use less mm. stuff cut down on waste. It seems like every year when I go around the shops, there seems to be more and more and more rubbish, really. And it reminds me of that line from years and years where, where one of the characters says it's getting hotter and faster, madder, our world. And we don't know how to how to make it stop, really. And it, and this, I feel, is just adding to landfill, really. Although the thing about CDs is that in about five to ten years' time, this will be the next wave of charity shop bingo. Because CDs never seem to get thrown away. What they seem to do is they seem to get left on Granny's shelf for ten years. Granny then departs this mortal coil and someone takes her CDs to the charity shop. So I suspect that this will be a cha- all of these records will be a charity shop mainstay in the future. On that cheerful note, yes. coming next, if you come second, are you a loser? Uh, that's after this great track, chosen, uh, chosen by Juliet, with uh, its lovely 1970s drum sound. It's Rose Royce.
so glitzy, isn't it? There's something a bit game show about that, but I don't mean that in a negative way. I really like it. I wasn't familiar with it until recently, and I then fell in as to what had sampled it. And to, to continue my kind of accidental feature that seems to be going on the podcast at the moment, uh, I will play the track which you might have recognised elements of that track from later on in the show but just goes to show there's more to her than Car Wash she did a number of tunes Rose Royce that are really good Wishing on a Star is excellent too but I'm a I'm a big fan of this that was uh, Rose Royce and Is It Love You're After it's the last album by Rose Royce before Gwen Dickey left to go solo and I always have thought that was rather an ill-advised move in retrospect Mm -hmm. because neither they nor she yeah, survive particularly without each other. What a pity, because Rose Royce really were, you know, they, they, I mean, Car Wash is still a floor yeah. filler. Discos, they, they did some great songs, and there is something so razzmatazz about that. I, I love it. I think it's a great track. Uh, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever, mm. Oasis's Wonderwall, Bowie's uh, Modern Love and Gene Genie, Bittersweet Symphony, Waterloo Sunset, My Generation, Prince 1999, Beach Boys, God Only Knows. All of these singles reached number two mm. on the UK singles chart, but never made it to number one. I tell you what, I would be interested in. I'm not saying that you do this now, but I bet that quite a lot of the records that beat them to number one, for example, uh, Vienna and Ultravox and mm. Should That Be Your Face by Joe Dolce, I bet the number one record was not as good. Yes, Engelbert Humperdinck kept the uh, Beatles, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields uh, out of the top place. So that rather answers your point. But you know, the fact that they're all coming second, does that mean that they're all losers? Should Brian Wilson, the Beatles, and the Who have all given up as each of those uh, respective singles stalled at position number two. Mm. The, the other weekend, um, the England rugby union team reached the World Cup final where they were rather soundly beaten by South Africa. Uh, was it a success that England came second in such competition? Well, not according to some British newspapers who questioned. They said, you know, the, the coach, Eddie Jones, they questioned his position. Is it all over for Eddie Jones? And some headlines actually referred to as England. They say England flops at World Cup. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, I was going to say, Jules, is, is second place only for losers? Um, well, the short answer is no, it's not. But I, I, I accept that for the purposes of this podcast, you're going to need me to, to roll that out. Not at all. So, um, so it just seems to be the kind of world that we're that we're sort of moving towards. We seem to constantly live in a world of instant gratification. It seems to be that nobody... No, nobody has time to develop anymore. Nothing, nothing is allowed to be to be given the opportunity to get better. If it's not an instant success, then it then it can never be a success, and is not a success. If you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that um that uh that England actually did rather well in that tournament and perhaps performed above their abilities really, and eventually were brought crashing back down to earth by South Africa in the final, who thoroughly deserved to win that match. But um. But having said that, I, I, you know, I, I just hate this idea that, you know, people are labelled losers for coming second. And it's like, OK, if it's a competition that only has two people in it, maybe you've got a point. But if you come second in a sports tournament, in a race, you know, in any kind of sort of a best album list, even in the charts, coming second it means nothing in the grand scheme of things, does it? Because you still come in the top two, haven't you? You've still done really, really well in order to get there. It's why I can never understand why we had to live through the 90s and years of people going on about how rubbish Tim Henman was as a player when he made the, you know, the quarter and semi-final mm. most years and was seventh in the world. You know, I could, I could never understand why people took that attitude, really. So, so I think I'm of the view that it's 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 a sign of a disposable world and of a world without any kind of tolerance or long-term thinking i think we seem to be stuck at the moment in very very short-term thinking it, politically environmentally culturally people i mean this is why you know none of us can name the number one i suspect this week this is no. why the pop charts don't really mean a lot anymore and because because you know there is no longevity singles used to have chart careers whereas now singles enter at number one say and the downloading chart has changed that a little bit i think but but singles are more inclined to enter at number one than never be heard of again and that list of number two singles which have had far more of a cultural impact than perhaps some of the things that beat them to number one you know it's 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 all about the long game i think really and and you know yes this england team didn't win the world cup 
they might next time if they're still a relatively young side you know people keep thinking that a moment in history a point in time is all of history and all of time and that's that's not right that's not that's not where we are at the moment i don't think and i think a lot of our our political and sort of structural problems we're having is by people that are mistaking now as forever i think when I was at school, I was quite reasonably good at cross-country running. Um, I didn't have particularly dynamic power for sprinting, but I could keep up a consistent, speedy pace over a long distance. But there was this one boy in my year, John Spratley, and he, he smoked like a chimney and didn't give two hoots for sport at all. Right. And he could just run like the wind. He would come first in every cross-country race, beating me and everybody else by miles. And I came second to him in all of our school races until he got expelled for engaging in a fist fight with uh, an Irish builder who was working on yeah. a new building in the school. That's a fortunate. Yes. Yeah. It's a very unfortunate, another story in itself, but it hadn't occurred to me that I was a flop or a loser. I mean, I rather admired John Spratley's ability to hurl around cross country courses whilst puffing on embassy cigarettes. And I felt okay with my own minor achievements. It's okay to arrive in, in second place. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's I agree with you, actually, you know, I I, whenever I did, I did well in things at school like cross country. I was not a natural athlete, but cross country suited me better than having Mm. to be quick. I was an endurance person. I remember being very pleased that I came 34th out of 93 one year. That for me, being the top third pretty much was not a bad thing. And then when I when I walked down the corridor, unfortunately, I was met by my friend who finished eighth, who was a showered and and, and dressed, who said laughing what kept you, which rather took the shine off my (laughs) my personal, personal achievement. But yeah, I think it's I think it's frustrating, partly because, because you know, because you finish second once rules you out from ever finishing first again. I find it annoying, but also it, I do like the idea of people being judged against their own metric rather than the metrics of others. I'm not saying that necessarily means that, you know, everybody's great at everything because cause having a culture where you bring people up like that is equally damaging. But it just shows a lack of realism, I think. And I think that, that the England flops headline came from the sun. And if ever there was there was a, an example of a, of a medium not being realistic about achievements, it's how the tabloids approach sports teams and success generally in our country, I think. Absolutely right. Coming up, comparing and contrasting stage entrances over the years. <laughs> All the news that matters around these parts. That's right after this uh, this gorgeous um, newish single from The Last Detail. Faces, I keep missing the faces of the friends I used to know. Where did the years all go? Keep creeping in Every corner and boulevard Back in the old school yard Life is cruel Wish I was making the rules Wish that I could move those happy times
It's a lovely collaboration from Erin Moran, better known as A Girl Called Eddie, and Made is an ad. And it's a splendid 1960s Burt Bacharach, Brian Wilson sort of feel uh, to this track from their debut album, The Last Detail and Places. That was lovely. And it released on the label Elephant Records, which I've found to be one of the most reliable um, sort of indie pop labels of recent years, not least because they have lots of European artists, including people from Spain, France, that sort of thing. So, so yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. And I've yet to find anything that Elephant have put out. And we're spelling that in the Spanish way, by by the way. So E-L-E. Elephant. Yeah, F-A-N-T. Um, we, uh, yeah, I've yet to come across anything they've released that I don't like. Yes, I, I, I haven't heard uh, an enormous amount, but you've played many tracks off the right. Elephant label and they've all been absolute winners, haven't they? Um, back in the 1970s, when I first, first started uh, going to see bands, there was a particular way that gigs got underway. A DJ would be playing some Led Zeppelin or, I don't know, Little Feet. And at some, at one point, this would just be yanked off uh, the turntable mid-track, mm. and some bloke—it was always a bloke—would wander <laughs> on. Always a bloke, absolutely. Always a bloke. We'd, he would wander onto stage, tap a microphone, ask if it was working, and and then say, uh, "Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Bracknell Sports Centre," and then <laughs> shout out the name of the band. You know, it's Billy Brick and the Builders, or, or whoever it was. Um, then four or five people in the band would wander on. Perhaps one of them might kind of shout, "All right." Um, and then I don't describe really as a, a minute or so of twiddling where guitars were tuned and drums were plonked and everyone looked at everybody else before they went into the first song. And I was reminded of this earlier this week. I, I watched a video and I, I um, sent it to Juliet as well of T-Rex at the Empire Pool Wembley um, in March 1972. Um the rather excitable disc jockey from Radio 1, Emperor Roscoe, introduced them with, with, with much gusto. And and then, you know, oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's T-Rex. And then Mark Bolan and his associates meander on. Um, and there's we have great acclaim and excitement from the crowd. However, there's a full two minutes plus of twiddling uh, mm-hmm. before they chug along into their first number. All momentum is lost. And the crowd are pretty much silent as they get underway. Now, if you compare this to the modern way of showing a slick, flashing images, massively over-amplified introductory video to announce the modern superstar at Wembley or the O2 or wherever, you know, the video would fade today after a sort of 30-second introduction and everybody is on stage ready to fire into the first song and off you go. There's no gap. Now... I, you know, you could argue that that's rather manufactured, but Jules, would you rather go back in time to the twiddling era or do you prefer the hyped up video and boom, off you go? Well, the interesting thing about this was I was I was about to try and construct a narrative along the lines of, you know, bands like Spice Girls and One Direction are doing arena tours and, you know, they're, they're aimed at, at perhaps a younger audience and perhaps more of an audience that likes, likes pop rather than necessarily a serious muso audience. And if T-Rex are playing, you know, sort of smaller venues, that makes more sense until you get to the to the stage where you realise, like I just did, that the T-Rex concert you're, you're referring to that I've watched as well was at Wembley. So yeah. that completely knocks out my my thing it's very strange isn't it the i can understand why why uh, the Spice Girls and One Direction do that? Maybe it's maybe again. Maybe there's still a point to this, and that, it, and that it, it's to do with how a band wants to present itself, and perhaps whether or not it. Well, how important authenticity, quote unquote, is to some people. And by authenticity, I mean musical authenticity. Maybe bands like T-Rex, and I've seen bands do it previously, wandering on, you know, sort of tuning up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're doing that. It must be strange for some bands that start off as sort of serious muso bands to then end up playing arenas maybe it's maybe i'm reaching too much into this i don't know but maybe it is their way of saying look guys i know we're playing this kind of super pop fun arena but you know we have to tune up we're still a serious band you know we we are a proper band still you know we, we're doing our own tuning up we you know we're getting the music just right because we are a serious band as opposed to the spice girls who will presumably show and one direction who show various i don't know video reels of their latest pencil case you can buy at the mm-hmm. merchandise whatever and then they come on and do this kind of razzmatazz show I, d- I don't know maybe you know they are aware of the fact that they have a younger audience that like that kind of thing that again are less engaged in music for music's sake I mean 
quite often pop music fans and this is not to to criticize criticize pop fans younger pop fans or to deride them if anything it's in praise of them when perhaps music is one of a number of interests in their life so so they're less emotion they might be emotionally invested in the band but they're less you know they take it less seriously perhaps because they've got other things in their life that they like doing as well and the sort of people that will go and see serious rock bands maybe not so much i don't know i could have that completely wrong it's just a sort of a a, a, a kite flying theory from me there but i i'm I yeah like you I I there must be a middle ground there must be a middle ground between between people wandering on and you know looking like I remember there was a, a very very cruel sort of summary dismissal of a, a Finlay Quay comeback in the NME he had a, an album that was very successful called Maverick's Strike I think in 97 and then about two or three years later after various uh, publicized personal problems came back to do a, a comeback gig and wandered on in a sort of a black jumper and the reviewer was moved to remark that he came on with all the stage presence of someone that was about to plaster the front room so i so i get that that you know when bands do sort of come on and look disinterested that that is very off-putting but equally i don't go and see by and large the kind of bands that have this huge razzmatazz so so you know i find i find it i i feel that there must be you must be able to come on. So, I mean, we went. I went to see Catherine Williams with my friend recently, and she is a sort of singer-songwriter of, 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 of you know, with, with tw- I think it's 20 years' worth of records behind her, and all of which are magnificent, and I would hi- highly recommend you seek them out if you haven't done so already, um, and also go to see her because she is touring this anthology box set of her career to date and so did the show as a sort of a, a kind of a trip in t- a chronological trip in time through her career but came on to a very small venue where i saw at the comedia in brighton a tiny little room downstairs her and her two bandmates came on and she um and they were sort of you know tuning up but she was used that time to kind of explain what the show was going to be like so i think there is a middle ground between you know huge panoramic screens you know advertising pepsi cola or whatever it is or you know showing scenes of exciting fans around the world i get that they have a certain place in certain shows but equally i agree with you that if you come on and then tune up and don't engage with the crowd for two minutes that then rather does squander some of your goodwill so there must be a middle path through this thing is you think about uh, for a minute just those the, the big shows the festivals or, and outdoor you know high park and um the other you know the v, v festivals and all this, and the reading festival and so on and then the big stadiums o2 wembley whatever these days virtually all artists run a multimedia show while they're on stage in those situations and the visuals and the videos throughout the show mirror note by note what's being played on stage and um paul mccartney's band are absolute masters of this but Mm -hmm. what it means is that there has to be a strict discipline i guess of what is played and how it's played and so there's absolutely no room i'm I'm contrasting this with your catherine williams gig because there's absolutely no room in these multimedia shows for going off script or improvising because the whole visual experience is oh. matching the sound and it would be blown apart if you go off, you know, if you go from a variation of the set list or there can be no last minute changes. Oh, so this, this means we see and hear the slickest, tightest show it's possible to put together. But it also means that we're seeing more of a theatrical production yeah. rather than inspired or spontaneous action. So it's what we've come to expect. And I, I also think that I, I don't think modern audiences would allow or endure that at, at your Wembley or your big shows, that two minutes of T-Rex twiddling that we got, you know, in that show in the in, the, in 72. No, I don't. I don't disagree. Now, um, thanks very much for listening, um, of course. Yeah, thank you. To you. Thanks to Rona and Hilly um, for, for um, production help. Before well, we... Yeah, before we go, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been suggesting tracks for us to play. Mm. Um, we will get round to many of them. I particularly want to thank um, this week to Steve Woolley, who uh, pointed me towards a great new track. And it really is it really is ace. So I may, may try and slide that one in next week. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 all the suggestions we've had have been absolutely cracking so far. And well, I think we've both very much enjoyed personally as well. They, they are, oh, very they are much, yeah. I've added them all to my collection. Thank you, everyone. 
I, w- I was really concerned after one or two came in. I was like, oh, God, what if somebody sends it? Oh, you must play this. And it's like from Robbie Williams' Christmas album. Or <laughs> but <laughs> I know you think it's we funny, but don't send us Bing Bong Christmas by Pe- Pepper Pig or Please, please Ed don't. Yeah. To play us out, Jules, uh, a sample-tastic reference back to Rose Royce. Absolutely. And and I, I maybe it's just daftness on my part. Well, it almost certainly is daftness on my part. There's no maybe about it. But um, I didn't realise until... Uh, so I, I, I DJ'd a, a private party in Brighton a few weeks ago and managed to get an excellent compilation. And this is a plug, I suppose, because it's great. Ministry of Sound have started doing, and I think they're, on, I think they're digital only. You right. can buy it through, uh, through iTunes, but presumably other music providers will provide it to you as well if you buy music elsewhere. And they're called I Love. And and they and they are a, a base a base of kind of different sort of compilate different sort of genres. And I bought their I Love Disco, um, which came out in 2017. Um, it cost me 7.99 and it has 60 tracks on it, and okay. they are all winners. They're all 70s disco winners. And so I came across this track on it, which uh, I came across sorry, the Rose Royce track on it earlier on, which I hadn't heard before. Mm. And once I heard that, I then suddenly fell into how one of my most played dance floor fillers of all time came about into being. This song I'm going to play now, I bought it. I was telling Terence before we, before we came on there that, that I bought a copy of this on seven inch single from a friend of mine for 50p about three or four years ago and it's probably currently averaging at about a quarter of a penny a play on all of my various uh, my various sets because it is just wonderful it's one of those songs i cannot believe how old it is it's 31 years old this year um still sounds as fresh as ever and people still of whatever ages like to get up to dance to this it's, it never fails it's a fantastic song and an ingenious use of sampling it turns out so this is essex Express and theme from S Express. Enjoy this trip. Enjoy this trip. And it is a trip. Countdown is progressing.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>